What's up, church? How we doing? We good? We good? You sure? Okay, well, hey, I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for being here today. I want to take a minute, and I want to welcome everybody who is watching right now online, and, of course, everybody who's over at the South Side, South Campus, South Campus. We love you. We love everybody who's here. And the best way that we can show each other that we love each other is by clapping for each other. So come on, would you put your hands together? Let's welcome everybody who's with us today. All right, well, today is Baptism Sunday, everybody. So we are going to have the, honestly, it's one of, if not the most favorite thing that we do as a church for me, it's baptisms. And so if you have not been baptized, I want to encourage you to come tonight. Make sure you sign up so that we know that you're coming. But you, you will be so glad you did. There is something so powerful about getting baptized. I think part of the power in it is that it is an act of obedience. It's a step of obedience. God uh, commands us to be baptized. And so when we do, we're lining up with this purpose for our life. But there's something, spe- there's something special and something spiritual about this, this moment of baptism. And uh, as we showed you the video and the previews, we showed the story during announcements. But there's just something, there's something very uh, meaningful about identifying with Christ by going under the water. We identify him with him in uh, his death and then coming up out of the water. We identify him uh, with him in the resurrection. And it's something, it's just very powerful. It's going public with our faith. And God is there. And we throw a party, y'all. So, like, literally, there's a bunch of people. We, we clap. We shout. We have music playing. And I think it's exactly how God intended it because the Bible says this. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one person comes back to God. So I think a whole church can go crazy when one person gets baptized. And that's what was going to happen tonight. So it's going to be awesome. It's going to be cool. And so if you're not signed up, play, make sure you do that, and you will be glad that you did. Um, well, we are on week two of a series that we have called Follow, all right? So we're talking about what it means to be a follower. And the reason we're doing this series is because everybody follows somebody, even you, okay? Now, some of you and I so, know as soon as, as soon as I say that, you're like, no, I'm an individual. Like, I'm my own person. I'm a rebel. I'm American. America. I know some of you. As soon as I say that, you're like, no, I don't follow anybody. I, 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 I march to the beat of my own drum. But the reality is everybody follows somebody, even you, like the clothes you wear. Most of you, you didn't design them and you didn't create them. Someone else created them for you and then marketed them to you and you bought them, all right, or the music you listen to or the movies you like, even the opinions you have. Someone created and influenced you with them. Everybody follows somebody. I want you to turn to somebody and say, everybody follows somebody, even you. Come on, tell someone next to you, everybody follows somebody, even you. The question that we have to answer is, who are we following? Who are we following? Who are you following today? And, and it's a very important question. Because there's a lot that goes into a follow, and there's a lot that's determined by who we follow. Really, our life is determined by what we allow influence uh, uh, us and who we follow and who we become a follower of. And I believe that's why Jesus, when he's calling his disciples, okay, think about this, Savior of the world, the one who spoke the world into existence, now living among mankind, for the sole purpose of redeeming mankind, and he's going to choose 12 people to go change the world on his behalf, 
And how does he get his tribe together? How does he get his people together? He just asks them to follow him. He just asks them to follow him. So, like, he doesn't go to these disciples and go, you're going to preach, although they would. He doesn't go to them and be like, you're going to heal the sick, although they would. He doesn't even say, you're going to change the world, or I'm, I'm asking you to believe. He doesn't even ask them to believe yet, although they would. He just asks them to follow. And, and it's, it's two words that we find in our passage today in Luke chapter 5. It's so simple. Christianity is literally so simple. It's two words follow me. Come on, everybody say that with me. Say, follow me. Follow me. That's what Jesus says to his disciples. And in that simple invitation, in that simple invitation, he unlocks a world of potential for them. He unlocks promise. He unlocks destiny. He unlocks God's purpose and plan for their life. And it's simple. It looks like following Jesus. I've honestly found that this is something that we can't overestimate the importance of. Because in Christianity, we're really good at making it complicated, right? Like in church, we're like super good at making church complicated. You got to do all of these things. You have to check all these lists. You have to do all these do's and don't all these don'ts in order to be a part of the family. And, And actually, in Jesus' day, the same thing was happening. When Jesus shows up on the scene, they had made God very complicated and very restricted. And Jesus goes, let me just break this down for y'all, okay? It looks like having a relationship with him looks like following me. It is so simple and yet so powerful. And that really uh, helps us emphasize something that is a big focus for us here at Summit Park Church. And it's helping people find and follow Jesus. Come on, say that with me. Say, helping people find and follow Jesus. This is our job. This is what we're supposed to do. This is our mission. This is what we're about. Come on, say that with me one more time. Put back up on the screen in case we don't remember it. Come on, everybody, say it with me. Helping people find and follow Jesus, that's your job. That's your job. That's, that's your job. Now, whether you're a brand new Christian or whether you've been a Christian for a, for a long, long time. If you got saved five weeks ago or five years ago or five decades ago, your job is to find and follow Jesus. Some of you gave your life to Christ at Easter. We had over 100 people, come on somebody, give their lives to Christ at Easter. So stinking cool. So excited for you. So thrilled for you. You know what your job is? To Come on, say it with me. Find and follow Jesus. All right, some of you, you're experienced Christians. You're black belts, okay? You know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? You know them all. And, and you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. You've got Bible verses memorized. You've got stuff all over your house. You've got more Christian paraphernalia than Mardell's, okay? All over your house, okay? So you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but do you know what your job is to Find and follow Jesus. Some of you might be like Wanda Langsford, who came from Lee Summit first, joined our family a couple weeks ago, and she's been following Jesus for 79 years. Whoo! Yeah, that's worthy of a tribute. Do you know what Wanda's job is? To find and follow Jesus. Jesus, let me break this down. Let me, what am I talking about? Fine. First of all, all of our jobs is to find what God is doing because God is always doing something. 
God is always up to something. He's always up to something new. He's speaking something to your heart. He's, he's drawing you in a closer relationship with you. He's calling you to something. God has a glorious and great purpose for all of our lives. He has something that he wants to do. So our job is to find that, find Jesus, and then once we find it, to follow it, to execute to do whatever he's calling us to do. Some of you, God's speaking to you. He wants you to get baptized. So he's, your job is to find him. Like, okay, God, you want me to get baptized? And then to take that step of obedience. And there is the blessing. When we find and follow Jesus, that's when we unlock all of the abundant life that God wants to bring to us. And Jesus said, I've came that you might have real and eternal life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. What he's saying is, when you find and follow me, that happens. It is so simple and yet so powerful finding and following Jesus. So this is for all of us. So if you're a new Christian, man, this is going to be so helpful. But if you're an experienced Christian, man, this is right where we need to be. What is God doing right now? How can I find it? And how can I follow it? All right. So we looked last week how John the Baptist shows us humility, because if we're going to come to God, we have to, we have to realize that we are not the answer and that he is. So that takes humility and then, and then today what we want to look at is we want to look at Matthew and how Matthew's call from Jesus shows us the power of faith. Faith. Christianity, your walk with God, what God wants to do in your life has a lot to do with faith. If humility is where our walk with God is born, faith is where it grows. If humility is the soil then faith is the fertilizer, okay? If humility is the launching pad, then faith is the rocket fuel. And that's, where it get, that's how we get to where God wants us to go. It's by having faith. And so I kind of want to uh, play with that idea for a little bit uh, with, in our time today. And so we're going to talk about faith, fuel for the follow, okay? So if you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. We're going to talk about this idea of how faith can be fuel for our follow. If you're taking notes, write that down. If you're not taking notes, go ahead and write that down. Faith, it's fuel for the follow. All right, so now here's what I want to do. I just want to ask a question. I like just knowing who we're talking to today, but how many of you know judgment? Let me just say this right. No judgment before you answer this question. No judgment at all. There's no judgment here. Everybody's welcome. Foot of the cross is level. No judgment. Okay, so there's no judgment. Okay, no judgment. Real quick, how many of you have ever run out of gas? Like, just come on, just be honest. If you're not honest, God's going to kill you. Look at that. I can't. How did you do that? Unbelievable. Slackers. I don't understand it. <laughs> just kidding. Um, now, here's something. A lot. Every service, a lot of people have raised their hand. Now, I, here's something. I'll be honest with you. I've never run out of fuel, okay? So I'm not trying to sound better, but I'm clearly better. Uh, I've just never run out of fuel. <laughs> no, but this part of the reason is because the way I think I'm very conservative like when I start getting to a half a tank I'm like all right I gotta be aware you know I get down to a quarter tank it's time to find a place okay so that's how I do I've only gotten close one time I was in northern Michigan we were on a snowmobile trip we were miles and miles from a gas station and I I just remember I was down in the red and I was hyperventilating I was like this is gonna be a cold walk in the snow I was praying I was seeking God I was like God please get me to a gas station if you do I will do anything I will go into the ministry Lord Clearly, I got to the gas station. So, <laughs> anyways, so, uh, so I, just ne I just never get close. I'm like, why would you do that? Why stress my wife is completely different? 
I'm at quarter of a tank. We've got to fill up. She's like, quarter of a tank? We're just getting started with this tank. <laughs> she doesn't feel like we got our money's worth until we get down to like one sixteenth of a tank. She's like, look, it says we've got five miles. I'm like, five miles? We've got to call the police right now. <laughs> so I don't, like, I don't like getting low on fuel. And if anybody should know the importance of this, right, it's, it's NASCAR drivers. Like NASCAR drivers should understand like, you need to have fuel. Um, how many of you are NASCAR fans? Just come on, just raise your hand. Okay, yeah. There's like four. That's, I expected like a little bit, I expected something, NASCAR fans. All right, all right. So I, now, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a NASCAR fan. Uh, I like all sports. I've, I've never been to a NASCAR event, but I've watched it on TV a couple of times. Best naps I've ever had in my life. I mean, there's nothing like I'm just gone, okay? I'm gone. You wake up, they're still doing the same thing. It's awesome. You don't miss anything. <laughs> um, but, but if anybody should know how to manage fuel, it's NASCAR drivers, right? Like, they should know, like, this is how, you know, I got this much. But it's a, it's a thing. It's a real thing because they've got so, you know, so many miles left, and I know it's very complicated. But here's what's crazy. Professional drivers sometimes will also run out of gas on the track. Like, they will, they will race for hundreds of laps, and then because it's getting close, they will run out of fuel towards the end. In fact, in 2017 at the Daytona 500, which I learned is actually not 500 laps, it's 500 miles. I thought it was 500 laps, but in case you wanted it, that's just free for you. Day, if Daytona 500 is, stick to the script. 500 miles. Kyle Busch won in 2017. But the only reason he won is because three other people in front of him ran out of gas. How messed up is that? <laughs> Can you imagine how great he felt as he was passing them? He felt like, you know, like Lightning McQueen. You know, they were just like, you know, kind of running out. And he's just like, hey, what's up? You know, like just driving past these people who made it 500 miles and ran out of gas on the final lap. That's crazy. And they ran out of gas because they got so caught up with winning the race that they overestimated their ability to finish the race with the fuel they already had. See, they thought they didn't need any more fuel, and they were wrong, and they ended up not finishing their race. I think we do the same thing in Christianity. I think we do the same thing. In fact, the Apostle Paul compares this to a race, this, this walk of faith, this Christian experience. He compares it to a race and if you don't want to run out of fuel and your relationship with God in this race that you're running for God, you've got to have faith. And you've got to keep filling your faith up. Faith is our fuel for the follow. This great follow that God has all of us on, faith is our fuel for the follow. Hebrews 11 says this, and without faith, it's impossible. Everybody say impossible. Come on, everybody with strength, say impossible. It's impossible. You can't do it. It's impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So faith, in a very real way, is where your walk with God begins. It's where we start answering some really fundamental questions like do we believe God is who he says he is and do we believe God will do what he says he will do and do we believe that God 
says, what, what, what God says about us is true. That you, do you believe God, uh, what God says about you is, is actually accurate? Or do you believe that God wants to do something great in your life? These are the fundamental questions that we have to answer, and faith is how we do it. When you see Jesus with his disciples as he's calling them, as he's doing stuff in their life, he asks them to have faith. So it's not only where, where they come to him and they start experiencing God, but it's how they grow in their relationship with God. So like there's a couple examples. Like One would be when he sends them out two by two to go heal the sick and to perform miracles and cast out demons. Like That took a lot of faith. Like They've been watching him do it, but now he's like, now I want you to go do it. So they go forward, and as they go forward, they have to go with faith. Or like when Peter walks on water. I mean, Jesus is out on the water, and, and Peter's like, hey, Jesus, that looks awesome. Do you want me to come out? And Jesus is like, sure. And Peter starts walking on water. It's absolutely amazing. Or like when the disciples, they have to feed this multitude of people. And Jesus gives them a, a little boy's lunch. Like, let's, let's do this. And they multiply it. And as they're passing out these baskets, more and more food shows up. Every time they grow in their relationship with God, they're exercising faith. One of the most favorite ones that, that I have is, is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And he's like, hey, I'm going to need a donkey as I go into Jerusalem. So I want you to go up to this street down, down the road. It's around the corner. There's this house. You're going to find a little donkey tied up there. And I want you to just go. And if anybody asks you why you're taking that donkey, just tell them the Lord needs it. How many know that took a lot of faith? How many know if you tried that like at a car dealership, that would be a different experience? <laughs> you know, show up to Mercedes and be like, yeah, yeah, I'm just sorry, but the Lord needs it. You know, <laughs> he told me. <laughs> And this car salesman is like, well, he just told me that he doesn't need it. So <laughs> you can leave it right there. You know, that takes a lot of faith. All of it took a lot of faith. Faith is what allows us to experience all that God has for us. If you want all that God has for you, you've got to have a continual stream of growing faith. You've got to stir up your faith. You've got to keep continue, continually being filled up in your faith. Faith is what allows us to experience what God has for us, but also a lack of faith keeps us from experiencing all that God has for us. If, if you don't have the faith that God wants you to have, you will miss out on what God has for you. He won't push all that he wants on you. He actually gives us a choice. And part of that relationship is saying, God, I'm going to believe you for this, and I'm going to reach out, and I'm going to experience this faith is so important in experiencing all that God has. And the disciples also show us this. Because they weren't perfect in their follow. They weren't flawless in their follow. And that's why it's good to read their stories because it encourages us, right? You're like, oh, man, that's encouraging. You guys weren't, weren't perfect. You can see this with, with John the Baptist. We talked about this last week. But he boldly says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus is there. And he's like, yes, that's him. And he's bold and he's strong. And then he gets arrested. He's thrown in prison. And then he's not so sure. He's starting to question. He gets his disciples. He's like, hey, can you go ask Jesus if, in fact, he is the one? So his faith stumbles. And guess what happens? He starts getting shaky. That's what happens when we don't have fuel for the follow. Or, or 
when you see Peter, who's walking on the water, right? He walks a few steps. He's walking towards Jesus. I mean, this is amazing. God be like, yo, what's up? This is incredible. But then he looks at the wind and he looks at the waves and he takes his eye off of Jesus and he gets discouraged and he starts to fall. And Jesus lifts him up and says, why did you have such little faith? And, and you see this again, even with the disciples who have already fed a multitude with one boy's lunch one time. They have the exact same opportunity with the feeding of the 4,000. And, and, and they're, they're like, oh, I don't know what to do, Jesus, all these people. And Jesus is like, do you not remember when we just did this a few chapters ago? And he's like, you're missing out because of your lack of faith. Faith is so important. In Matthew, the calling of Matthew in Luke chapter 5 shows us this. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. We're just going to take a few moments and I want to pull two very important principles on having fuel for our follow from this passage. Luke chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, turn there. If you have your phones, you can pull it up. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Um, the context of Matthew 5 is that Jesus has started his ministry. He's healed people. He's cast out demons. He's called his first disciples. And now he comes up to this guy named Matthew, who's a tax collector. He's also, in, in the text, he's called Levi. And, and, he, and he calls him to be one of his disciples. We're going to learn two very important principles on having fuel for the follow. We're going to jump into this in Luke chapter 5. And if you're ready, say, I am. All right, Luke chapter 5 says this in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. I just cannot underestimate the value of this. this is, I want to draw your attention to this. How important. Follow me. That's all Jesus says. Look at how simple this is. Follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. We're going to unpack all of this in just a moment, but I want to finish this passage because it's really cool. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. He's like, man, this is awesome. I get to follow Jesus. Jesus, why don't you come on over? Let's have a party. And, and he brought all of his friends. A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees, these are the religious people. These are the people who are actually trying to keep people away from God, ironically. And the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Such a powerful, powerful passage of scripture. And I want to show us how it teaches us two things that we can do to have fuel for the follow. And it's this. Number one, fill your heart with the love of God. Fill your heart with the love of God. And number two, Believe God always has better. These are so simple but so powerful, and I want to unpack that with us today. We're going to look at these. Before we do, turn and tell two people, you got to have some fuel for your follow. Come on, tell two people, you got to have some fuel for your follow. Okay, let me give you the first one, and it's this. Fill your heart with the love of God. This is so simple, but I can't, I really can't emphasize enough how important this is. One of the things that jumps out to, to me as I read this passage, probably to you as well, is that Matthew is called a tax collector. Now, 
Now, let me just ask, are there any tax collectors in the room at both campuses? Just raise your hand. No one ever has raised their hand for that question. It's so weird. Um, no one wants to admit if they work for the IRS. But, um, but tax collectors in that day were viewed totally different. Like, they were, they were despised by the people. They were hated. They were kind of considered like the lowest of the low. And, and some of you are like, actually, that's not that different. That's exactly, exactly how I feel right now, especially because <laughs> my taxes are due. Um, but seriously, tax collectors were hated, and the reason they were hated is because they were betrayers of their people. So they were betrayers. How, how it worked, Rome was the occupying force in Israel. So Rome was occupying Israel, and they're enforcing heavy taxes on the people. But they don't want to mess with collecting them themselves, so they, they, they divvy it up among wealthy nobles. They get to bid on it. And the wealthy nobles get to put their own taxes on the taxes that Rome's already putting on. But the wealthy nobles don't want to mess with it either. So they hire locals who know the language, who know the people, the names, the numbers, who will, who will basically turn on their own people so they can make a profit. This was a big deal. This is like your own family selling you out. These guys were, they were despised. They were considered the worst of the worst. And so the life of this person, uh, Matthew, in this case, Levi, he he is wealthy, he has money, he has resource, but he doesn't have any of his family or friends. The only friends he has are other tax collectors and other lowlifes, some of the people that he hires to enforce these taxes. That's, that's his crew. This is, like, this is like an old school mafia. You could say Matthew was like an original gangster, okay? So that's Matthew. And, and they're betraying their people. So they have a lot of money but they don't have much else. And it's a really sad existence. It's really lonely. Because for Matthew, he, he's, 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 he's turned on his own people. He's not able to hang out. He's not able to go to church. He's not able to learn about God. And he's constantly left with the reality that I, I've done all of this. I've chosen this. And there's a little bit of hopelessness because he can never go back. So you have Matthew, and he's probably sitting at a table, some type of table, which would, or a booth of some kind, his tax collector's booth. And people would come up and pay their taxes. And he's robbing people. He's extorting people. He's got muscle to back him up. And Jesus does something amazing. And if you're taking notes, write these three words down. It's absolutely phenomenal. It says this, Jesus went out. I really believe that the writer, Luke, is trying to get our attention with this. He's trying, to he's trying to get us to understand something about the heart of God. When he says, Jesus went out. It's almost like Jesus went out of his way. Jesus, like, intentioned to go out. Jesus went out and came to where Matthew was while he was at his tax collector's booth, literally ripping, us, ripping people off mafia style. Here's what, here's what Luke is trying to tell us. Jesus chases people because God loves people. God has a great love for people. How marvelous, how wonderful is the love of God. I've never really chased anybody. The only person I've ever really chased is my wife, Jen. Some of you, some of you know the story. I saw her after church. It was in the lobby, and it was after a prayer meeting, and I saw this blonde angel just floating across. I wasn't sure, was she real? 
and, and sure enough, she was. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this girl is so amazing. I got I to gotta go meet her. She, came, she went to a prayer meeting, so I know she's legit. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go talk to her. So literally, I'm like getting, my, you know, now early on in my 20s, I was like kind of nervous. I was like, oh, I don't want to go talk to a girl. But like I was like 29, so I was like more than ready. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm saying? I was like, nothing's going to stop me. So I'm like beelining it, except something stopped me. Someone needed prayer. Like literally, someone comes up to me. I was like, uh, yeah, oh, sure, friend, that's awesome. Let me pray for you. And I, as I'm praying, I'm looking at her, and she leaves. I'm like squeezing his shoulder extra hard. I'm just like, <laughs> probably not my best prayer, I'll be honest with you. Um, I haven't chased many people. I did chase my wife, and, and, I, and, and when we started dating, like her, our schedules were off, and so she was a nurse. She worked at night, so I have to meet, I'd have to get off of work early and then meet her for like an hour, and then, you know, I just, did, I just bent over backwards to pursue her, to, to be with her because I loved her, and I was growing in my love for her. Do you know that, that as much as I pursued her, as much as anybody has pursued anybody on this planet, it is a drop in the ocean compared to the love of God pursuing us? God pursues us while we are away from him. That's why I love Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates, God proves, God opens it up. He opens up his own love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. While we're away, Jesus died for us and he came to us. While we're doing what we knew we should not be doing, God pursued us. This is so foundational and so important for us to get a hold of. Because the enemy is going to lie to you when you mess up. The enemy is going to lie to you when you feel like you're not worthy of God. The enemy is going to lie to you and say you've done too much, you've gone too far. Surely God won't forgive you this time. That's a lie from the pit of hell. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because he proved his love for us, y'all. He proved his love. God loves you with an everlasting love. And he loved you first, and he loves you most, and he is pursuing you. If you've heard any different version of Christianity than that, it's not Christianity. Because when you read the Gospels, you see a God who is pursuing people in spite of them. This is the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. God's chasing you. Fill your mind with that. When you grow weary, when you get tired, when you want to throw in the towel, when you're not sure where God is, say, no, God, you pursued, you came and you lived and you died, even while you love me with an everlasting love, and that will give you fuel for your follow. The second thing that we have to do, and this is what Matthew does, you have to believe that God has better. You have to believe that God has better. And you have to always believe that God has better. You could see in Luke 5.28 says, And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, again, think about this. If he's at a table or if he's in a booth, he just steps out of it. He just walks away from it. There's probably all kinds of money all over this table. And, and, and he's, he just gets up, and he left everything and followed him. How I many know Judas was there? And Jesus was like, hey, we're not leaving all that, right, Jesus? I mean, surely 
I'll take it. I mean, if you need me to, like, if Jesus would, if Judas would have been a follower, he would have definitely been doing that. Um, but this is this is so powerful about Matthew because he gets up and he leaves, and this is where this is where putting our faith in action comes to play. This is where our faith gets real, where we tangibly move toward our intangible God, where we give up what we have to take hold of what He has for us. Because we believe in our heart that what God says about what we should do and where we should go and what we shouldn't be doing and what we shouldn't be, where we shouldn't be going is actually the best thing for us. That, that this life of sin isn't worth it. You have to be thinking, like, when I read this story, I'm like, Matthew is miserable sitting at this table. He's miserable in his sin. And isn't that always how sin works? It makes us miserable. And so when Jesus shows up and says, follow me, Matthew's like, done. Done. Because I'm done with that. Now, I just feel like maybe some of you can relate. Some of you have pursued your own stuff. You've made sex your God. You've made pleasure your God. You've made money your God. You've made pleasures your God. You've made image your God. What people think about you, you're God. And you're, and you're sitting at this table like Matthew, and you're just waiting for somebody with actually something of substance to give you something better. And Jesus shows up to all of us, and he does exactly that. He gives us the way, the truth, and the life. He gives us what we were made for. The question we have to answer is, do we believe it? Or, or do we still want to mess with this? Do we still want to keep fooling around with our sin? Or do we want to try to bring our tax collector's table with us? Now, I, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. How many you know that you're not going to follow very well if you're trying to drag something that God's asking you to give up? You're going to be miserable. And see, that's what happens with a lot of our Christianity. We're still holding on to what we have and trying to grab a hold of what God has for us, and we're always going to be miserable if we do that. But Matthew understands, no, this, this isn't for me. You're the one I've been waiting for. You're the one I've been waiting for. And he gets up, and he leaves everything. And I love this because it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing what Matthew does. He doesn't go back to his, his life of sin. He just follows. And you know what I love also about Matthew? Is he doesn't start asking questions about like, what am I going to do with all this stuff? Or what about this table? Or what about the greed problem that got me into all of this? Or, or what about all the people I've wronged? Or what about all? He doesn't ask any of those questions. He just starts following Jesus. And as he starts following, all of it gets taken care of. That's a good word for us. See, we complicate it. We try to fix our life before we start following him. We try to get it all together so, so before we start following him. And that's not how it works. All you got to do is follow him. And he starts changing you from the inside out. He starts doing a work that you can never do in your heart on your own. This is the order. 
Jesus doesn't show up to Matthew and be like, all right, man, you are messed up. Like, I know you've been robbing people. Man, you are just a, whew, you are a hot mess. I don't even know where to begin with you. Okay, you're going to have to do A, B, C, D, E, and G. You're going to have to do all these things in order to follow me. He doesn't do that, does he? He just says, follow me. And, man, this is really important for us as Christians because we get this backwards, don't we, sometimes? People who want to follow God, you're like, oh, you want to come to my church? You're going to have to do, you're going to have to stop. You can't talk like, nope, that's not the gospel. You just start following him. And what happens is your love for God starts to grow and it pushes out everything else. That's why you keep filling your heart with the love of God. And you keep believing that he has something better for your life. <laughs> this is what Matthew does. I love this. Think about this. He invites Jesus over to his house immediately. This is one of my favorite parts of scripture right here. How many of you know I'm not inviting anybody to my house immediately before I have some time to clean that thing up? You know what I'm saying? Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Like, <laughs> whoo, I'm going to need about mm, three hours before any of you come over, you know? Like, let me get this thing show ready, and you can't go into any of the upstairs rooms. <laughs> Because that's where I just stuffed everything. That's how we do, though, isn't it? Matthew doesn't do that. He's like, all right, Jesus, come on over. It says immediately. Man, there's, there's a word in there for, the, for us. Because he doesn't try to clean up. Can you imagine what Matthew probably had laying all over the floor, like from the party the night before? And then he invites all of his tax collector and thug friends over. And that's why the Pharisees are like, what are you doing? You're a teacher. You're a holy person. What are you doing? And Jesus is like, exactly. This is who I've come for. This is the heart of God. This is what, this is what God wants most. People who are hurting and broken. He says, I didn't come for those who think they're already healthy. I came for those who know they're sick. That's what God wants to do. That's where God does his best work. So that's where all of us have to say, I'm sick, I get it. And I'm coming to you as a broken, in-person person, imperfect person who needs Jesus. And as you focus on him, he changes everything about you. That's why I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, I'm not going to worry about all of the stuff. Paul said he was the chief of sinners. He says, I'm not going to worry about all of that. I'm not going to worry about, some of you need to say, God, I'm not going to worry about my lust. I'm not going to worry about my addiction. I'm not going to worry about my gossip. I'm not going to worry about my temptations or all my past, my failures. I just resolve to know you because I believe you have something better for me than I could ever have for myself. In Hebrews 12, this is the verse I've been excited about all week. It says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him. Just write that down if you're taking notes. Put that in your heart. Take a picture of that. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you won't run out of fuel. Look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus again and again and again and see God's love personified. Fill your heart with that. Consider him on the cross. Consider him living among us. Consider him more than you consider yourself. 
follow Jesus. Christianity is not about us. It's about Jesus. And when we get a hold of that, everything unlocks for us. We got to be in love with Jesus. You got to be passionate about Jesus. Don't worry about your stuff. Just start following Jesus. And when Jesus is your focus, freedom is your reality. You will walk in freedom. Don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about all the stuff that you have to do. Just focus on Jesus, and he will change you from the inside out. I ask the worship team to come. We'll get ready to close. I have one more illustration just to encourage you with. On the church I was on staff at before we started this church, there was this guy who, who started following Christ, and he came forward, and he came up to me because I was a worship leader, and he started asking me questions, and he was a Hindu, and so he, he had Hindu gods, and, and he started asking questions about, he's like, what do I do with my Hindu gods? You know, I, I've got all these gods, and, but I'm very interested in this Jesus. You know, what, what, do, I, what do I do with these? And, um, and I was like, well, I, he, was asking me, he was asking me specifically about Jesus, and I was telling him who Jesus was to me. And then he asked my pastor, okay, pastor, what, what, what do I do with these gods? I, I've got all these gods. And my pastor, I felt with such wisdom communicated to him, don't worry about your Hindu gods. Don't worry about that. You just start following Jesus. Just start following Jesus. And gradually what ended up happening is he got rid of all of his Hindu gods because he had no room in his heart because his heart was so full of the love of God. He considered him. He made Jesus the focus of his life. And as the song says, the things of this world grew strangely dim. And that's what happens in the light of his glory and grace. You want fuel? You want fuel for the follow? Fill your heart with the love of God. Remind yourself that God pursued you, that God chased you, that God loved you first. And then you believe that he always has better. And if you let go of what you have, you will not be disappointed. You will only be satisfied. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the love of God. We thank you for the purpose of God, for the plan of God. We thank you for the work of God that you are doing in our hearts. Lord, I thank you for every person who is watching this online, every person who is here at the North Campus, at the South Campus. Father, I pray that you would speak so clearly, so directly. I know there are many people who are looking for purpose right now, and you have it for them. And God, I pray that you would help people be set free. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to take a moment. I just want, I have to ask two questions. Speaking to two groups of people today. First group, you're here today, and I just want, just be honest. Just, be, just create a, an honest moment with God. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but you're trying to bring your tax collector's booth with you. You're trying to follow him, but you're also trying to bring all of your stuff, all of your old life, and you're finding it frustrating. And today, in the presence of God, you need to make a decision to say, I'm going to leave all of that, and I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow him wholeheartedly. If that's you, you're a follower of Christ, but your stuff has got a hold on you, and you want to give that up, I want to pray for you. So just raise your hand all across this place. 
Lift your hand online, interact on the chat. Hands are going up everywhere, South Campus. Lift your hand. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for every person who is doing business with you, who's making an altar with you right now. Father, I pray you'd set them free, open their heart to you. God, I pray that you would let them experience the life, the love, the power that comes when we live fully devoted to you. In Jesus' name, you put your hands down, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for one more moment. This is the most important question. Some of you are here today, and if you're honest, you have to say, you know what? You're not following Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're following something else. Maybe it is as simple as like following other gods, but maybe it's not a, an actual statue, but maybe it's, a, it's money or it's sex. It's power. And, and you're pursuing other things, and you know you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life for the first time or for the first time in a long time, and you're here today and you're saying, God is speaking to me. I want to make Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords in my heart. If that's you, I want to pray for you as well. Would you slip your hand up all across this place and say, man, that's me. He's speaking right to me. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome. Other hands going up. Yeah, it's great. I want to pray for every person. Father, I pray for every person who's reaching out to you right now. Father, I pray you would do a work in their heart. A real work from the inside out. Father, as they reach out to you, God, I pray that they would find real life. Real hope, real truth. Let it happen, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? I just want to take a moment before we leave, and we do this every week, but we want to respond. And so we had a couple of uh, answers. A lot of people, first question, a lot of people, second question. If you answered either one of those, man, this is gonna, I just want to give you an opportunity to do business with God as we sing this song. It's going to be an altar. Just make an altar right there. And for all of us, even if you didn't raise your hand for either one of those, our opportunity right now is just to say, God, you alone are the centerpiece of my life. I make it about you. I fix my eyes on you. I consider him. Can we just do that across this place? Would you lift your hands, lift your heart, just make an altar right there and say, God, again, afresh and anew, I make you the centerpiece of my life. Lord Jesus, have your way. Work your way in my heart. God, we look to you. And we call upon you. And we say, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, let's worship.